Welcome everyone to Previously in the Multiverse. I am Peter, joined by Connor. This is our sister show to Comics for the Multiverse, which of course is our main DC podcast where we talk about all the new DC books coming out with Matt. But this show is where we're working through some classic runs. So coming up on today's show, we have Detective Comics 578, which wraps up Batman Year 2, so that should be an interesting one. We got Batman 412, Wonder Woman issue 3, The Flash 75... Birds of Prey issue 9, GSA issue 18, Justice League Power Rangers issue 4, and Batgirl number 15, uh, which is actually the issue from the the Bruce Wayne, the road home, or the whatever it was called, the, the month-long thing where they did like a, a Bruce Wayne issue of every Bat book. Uh, so that is the, the itinerary on today's episode. Uh, so... Let's not dilly dally. I don't want to dilly dally. I got things to do after this. So, Detective Comics, five seven eight, made W bar rating with Todd McFarlane on the art. This is the 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 wrap up to Batman Year Two, and unfortunately, it's probably by far the weakest of the four issues. Uh, all, all of a sudden, I understand the reputation. It's all it's disheartening because I liked the vast majority of the previous three issues. Not without faults, but I really was into the vast majority of it. This issue, the first half feels a little bit messy. Like, I wasn't entirely clear at all times really what was going on in terms of there's like a, you know, the Reapers lured the police into this kind of event. Batman's doing things as well. Um, I wasn't always completely clear all the different events that were happening simultaneously and how they were kind of feeding into each other. So I was a little bit confused yeah. on that. Um, and then the back half... I mean, I appreciate, you know, like, Reaper witnesses uh, the Batman's Bruce Wayne because Batman takes Joe Chill to Crime Alley, reveals who he is, may I add, and, you know, mm-hmm. takes off his mask and is going to kill Joe, Ke- uh, Joe, Hill, uh, Joe Chill, sorry, not Joe Hill. <laughs> not, not, not writer Joe Hill. <laughs> That's important. Um, Things got meta there. What's funny, though, is I did kind of get a small smirk out of what happens here because it's actually kind I guess it's kind of what Batman Begins took from a little bit. Because if you remember in Batman Begins, there's a moment where Bruce goes to kill Joe Chill at the courthouse and someone else shoots him first. This is effectively what happens in the scene because the Reaper does it instead. Um, sort of taking the option away out of Bruce's hands. The... I, I, I get what you can. I like it in that movie. I think the the key difference is, in that movie, he's not Batman. At that point, I mean, you, you could phrase it that way. I, I think I would maybe just sort of broaden it out to, this is a much rawer Bruce at that moment. In the movie, he's much younger. He's not sort of like really thought about or really kind of established what his ideals are. You know, because because that's, that's before he even has that moment uh, where he throws the gun away. You know, because that's a, a big moment in that movie. Um, mm. this is a little bit weird to hear. Uh, because he does have a moment, there's a page where he says, no father, I will bury this gun in the building that's, you know, in your name or something to that effect. And But it doesn't really feel like it comes off of a moment. It just it just kind of decides to do it randomly, it feels like, in the comic. Yeah, I feel like, again, you know, with, with the, comparing it to, to the movie, in that he's he's thinking about it, and but he's never, like, on on the verge of actually pulling the trigger. Whereas here, he has the gun against his head, like executioner style. Yeah, I mean, I can see a debate for that. I mean, st- standing with it in his hand and like just working up the courage to do it. I mean, I-, I can argue that that's not really that million miles away. But in the movie, what happens though 
is that there's several scenes between that and then him throwing the gun away that all build up to him making that choice. One is Rachel's reaction. Rachel! Like, her reaction uh, to it by slapping him and saying his father would be ashamed of him. Um, the conversation with Falcone, which kind of establishes that, you know, he really it's important to Bruce that he's not one of them. That he is better. That he proves he can... And not that he's like, oh, he's a billionaire. I'm better than them because I'm rich. But that, he, he, that he's better as a human being. And that's an important part. Of it. So there's scenes that sort of like play up to that point and sort of clearly show why he makes the choice to throw the gun away. In this, it just kind of suddenly happens. Uh, the the only real kind of launching point for it is that uh, Reaper, obviously Caspian, he when Bruce learns who he is just before he dies, Caspian says, "Ah, I was wrong. There is someone to carry on in my honor. You will be a fine replacement because you're willing to kill uh, right before he dies." Uh, that that's really the only thing in the comic that does it, but it doesn't like I I see that being the setup for it. I don't really see like it feels like it's missing a beat in between that and when he decides to put the gun away. That moment, um, like that that uh panel where it actually says, "I know you will make a fine replacement for me," is on the exact same page uh, as him then burying it. There is mm. one panel in between of him looking at the gun. And then the next panel is him, you know, oh, I'm going to you know, bury it in, in the, the Wayne building. Yeah. That you know, is literally that close together. So, I guess it's just, it's rushed, I guess is what we're saying. It feels like the climax is rushed in that sense. Uh, and given that that's really the true Batman story of this is, is that, is that choice uh, to not mm. be that killer. Uh, it's a shame that that's just kind of rushed at the end. Um you know, uh, you know, Gordon realizing that Batman was just playing the villains, so he turns on the signal again. It's fine. Uh, again, it, it felt like because there's there's a moment where he says something to the effect of, "I just hope Batman understands why I did what I did." And I sort of stopped and went, "What's he specifically referring to? Is there a specific moment that I'm forgetting from a previous issue that he's talking about, or is he just in general saying treating them like a criminal again?" Like a, I, I assume yeah. so. Uh, it pl- it played a bit weird. It played a bit weird for me that, but and what's weird about it as well is that Batman came to him before all this died. He's like you're gonna hate me. Yeah, it's like I kind of understand what you're gonna do. So so it's not like he did anything unexpected. So of, of course Batman's gonna forgive him. Yeah, that's a bit odd. I mean, they are still really good. I mean, they are been consistent throughout the the book. I actually think the first half uh, in particular. Uh, I don't think it's as clean. Um, as in previous issues, I think it's a lot less well defined. Do you um, think it was a rush to get the last issue done in time? Do you think that's what's... I, I do. I think I think the inks are less well uh, mm. less pronounced than they have been in the last two issues, in particular. Yeah, the other bizarre thing in this is the the romance and how that ends, where because uh, there's a whole scene where where Bruce, you know, he's 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 going to marry. Uh, I've forgotten her first name. <laughs> Caspi's daughter. Uh, is that Rachel. Rachel. Oh, Ash, yeah, it's, it's Rachel. Rachel. Uh, so, <laughs> how did we forget that one? But you know, they have these moments, uh, and she's like, and the signal's up in the sky, and she's like, you know, he's like, I need to go and do my my thing, and she doesn't know obviously what he's talking about, but she's like, yes, go, my love, but I'll be here waiting for you. But once obviously her father turns out to be the Reaper, uh, she sort of says, no, I have to, I have to return to my faith, I have to make amends for what he has done. And just kind of calls the wedding off, but not because they break up in a sort of like dramatic way. It's just uh, no, I have to do this for me. So I, she's g- going back to the nunnery. Yes. Um. So it's kind of it's kind of an interesting ending, and in I, I don't know if I was expecting this to end in a way where, had she not broken it off for this personal reason, 
Bruce might have still wanted to go through with marrying her. So that's that's a bit different from what I was expecting. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. And it's a shame because there's the potential that you could have explored in in a in a following issue of does Bruce look at her differently now, knowing who her father was? Is, that... like, is there does it impact him in any way? Do you know what? See if you'd swapped these scenes a little bit and maybe just re rewritten it a little bit. If you'd rewritten this a little bit and put it before he makes the choice to put the gun away, if you have him go to see her and her saying, I can't live with what my father was, I have to make amends, you know, being a killer is wrong. If, if she reinforced that idea and then we had the scene of him putting the gun away and making the choice to like never touch it again and never be a killer, it would have worked a lot better. I'm not saying that I completely fixed it, but it would have been an extra beat in between that sort of reinforced mm-hmm. it. And the idea that this woman that he apparently loves i mean it's been a bit rushed in that sense that's one of the more rushed elements of the story in general is this romance yeah. but it, it would have been something and would have i think played it made the, the actual moment feel better for me at least but uh i get it yeah so the book ends with him you know flying through the sky uh, and his grapple lane is batman uh because he's batman there you go that's your two <laughs> i do actually really like that final page just as a as a Image, That's nice. Yeah. Rather than, you know, as anything it represents for the book. It's just a nice drawing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, he opens the, uh, the, the the Leslie's clinic, the Thomas Wayne Memorial Clinic. It gives Leslie... It's basically, hey, while I'm doing my thing, you can do yours. Uh, and this is, like, a, a, you know, a big prominent part of Batman mythology is that Leslie's got a clinic in the city that's, that's helping people. And obviously, Batman himself occasionally goes there for some patching up when Alfred's... Not up to up to the the task. If he's just a bit too, or oh, when that's too far away, or yes, when he's too far away uh, as well. So, you know, uh, hey, I, I, like it's a weak final issue. I don't hate year two. I don't think. Like, I think that I was actually really into it and thought, why is this so hated? And the ending makes me go, oh, this is why it's hated. I wouldn't say I hate it overall, though. I'd say it's a kind of a, a sad missed opportunity to sort of nail what it was trying to do. Yeah, I probably hate this issue. Um, also, I have a, a lettering complaint uh, with this issue in particular that I thought was a a very strange choice. Uh, is that um, the bubbles that the Reaper talks in are not you know straight edged bubbles, you know rounded bubbles like we typically see for speech. They're kind of wavy, um, like we see for thought bubbles, and that wouldn't be a problem if you weren't using thought bubbles we are and there are thought bubbles like right after his speech for example and it it can be hard i have to actually readjust and work out okay is this speech or is this uh, is this thought um when he's on on the panel Uh, and that's a bit of a problem i think uh just just a little bit of separation would have fixed that what are you reading it uh i'm gonna give this one a (laughs) 3.5 i'm not gonna go that low but I'm going to go with more like a five. I, I think it's kind of in the middle because I still like the art quite a bit. Um, I, like, I still like the grungy sort of feel. Um, it's just it's just a, kind of a shame. It's kind of a dis- disappointment after the previous three issues. So, anyway. Too, too much of a mess for me. Uh, Batman 412, Max Allen Collins writing with Dave Cockrum on the art. This is a still an early Robin story. At least it's in the second chance he's traded, if nothing else. Uh, but this is a story about a villain who's a mime. Uh, what's interesting about it is that it, at one point someone calls it a Harley Quinn, but obviously this predates the creation of Harley Quinn, the character, so I thought that was a little bit amusing. But 
Uh, essentially, it starts off with all the church bells in Gotham uh, not ringing, because Batman's like, wait, why is there no sound? It's dawn. Yeah, Joe, you know like, I'm going to say, like, the very first page of this story has the, the title page, mm-hmm. and it's called The Sound of Silence. So immediately I start thinking of the song. And obviously, in, in, in terms of relating that to Batman, th- th- there is the, 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 the Affleck meme of that. Um, so I, 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 you know, I, that was already in my head at the start of this issue. I was like, you know, I was already in an amusing mood when I started mm-hmm. reading this. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly a pretty fun issue. Uh, that gets slightly dark in one or two moments, but for the most part, it's like, okay, who's done this? There's a lot of talk about how it's almost broad daylight and the bat signal's turned on, so they can barely see it. Which I, that is nice to kind of mention that. But it turns out that this mime uh, is committing these crimes, and when someone like she's basically just hates noise. So, for example, when a cab driver starts, you know, beeping his horn at her to get out the street. She pulls out a gun and shoots him. It's actually really kind of dark and like a violent scene <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, and then from there, you know, they have to try and track her down. It's like, oh, she actually was a successful mime for a while. Uh, but, you know, times got rough, I guess. People stopped caring about, you know, mime shows and things there's of that a, nature. There's a moment in this where Jason, he's like, mimes, you know, that's the worst. And I don't think I've ever agreed with Jason Todd more. I, I, I think he says memes, yuck. <laughs> I think it may have been the, the speech bubble. It, it might well have been. Yeah, memes, yuck. That's the worst thing there is. The, the worst. Uh, I the mean, line. I don't like memes either, but the worst? Like, I mean, there's, there's definitely worse. Not much. I mean, there's gingers for a start. I mean, that's not. But what about ginger mimes? Oh, jeez. Oh, that's not. That's not. That's that's like that's, that's like shark to puss on the sci-fi channel. That you don't you don't go that far. <laughs> um, so <laughs> you know, Brucey sort of looks into her backstory, gets Vicky Vale's help because uh, she did like an article or something on her. Um, you know, just establishing again some of that stuff right now. Vicky's like a regular kind of like rotating cast member. Of these are these bat books right now. Uh, but she has this backstory of like studying under this uh this this famous circus man. This this firework. Her dad was a firework. Uh, I don't know what the correct term would be. He made fireworks. He had a fireworks company. Uh, so, so she hates. She hates noise. She hates fireworks. Well, the, he was the so-called firework king, as as it says in this. Did you like the knockoff band uh, Blister Twister? I mean, definitely not Kiss. I was thinking it was a play on Twisted Sister. The name is, but the visuals are clearly Kiss. Oh sure, sure, but uh, you know. The, and and they're doing a metal cover of Sound of Silence. Yes. Uh, which I think most recently, and most famously, as in terms of metal covers, I mean, uh, Disturbed did a pretty solid cover. I mean, not when this came out, but... <laughs> no, uh, I, mean, I just mean now. That was, that was like 2013 or something with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, I don't mean recently in terms of that. I mean, recently in terms of this. Yes. But now. Yeah, but they're hardly a hair metal band. <laughs> in fact, no. last time I checked, the singer was completely bald, so definitely not hair metal. Um, but yeah, so it's basically you wear a wig for him. She she turns off the power, uh, and then starts electrocuting the Batman members. Uh, so it's kind of you know comical and whatnot. Uh, Batman shows up and uh, ultimately defeats her with guitar feedback from the amp, because Robin turns the power back on, and the sound of the feedback, which can be quite potent if you're you know if you hit it the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've been near my fair share of. Overloud amps with feedback, mm-hmm. uh, and they 
defeat her, the, the crowd's happy because the, the, the band starts singing again, that's the end. I mean, that's the whole issue. Um, I had a fun time. <laughs> I, I can't deny that, one, the, the character will a one-and-done um, obviously has some qualities of characters from later that I, you know, that are obviously great. Harley Quinn in particular, but also, you know, we had the Mime and Marionette and, you know, Doomsday Clock not that long ago. It was hard not to think of them a little bit as this was happening. Yeah, there's a moment where when Batman confronts her in the park, where he's like, oh, I've already got your tricks. I've already got that mime gun of yours, so don't try it. And, and then she electrocutes him with the, the hand buzzer. But still, like, it, it was hard not to think of you know, my marionette with the finger guns, for example. I think what made this work is that it kind of plays into what the Two-Face story did and that all of her crimes are related to the thing she hates, which is noise. So it's all about silencing noise. But because this is a one-and-done villain, it's, we've not seen all the ideas explored a hundred times already, so it does kind of feel fresh to have this villain with this specific MO. So it was mm. like a, a creative thing of, like, okay, church bells being stolen, uh, honking horns, you know, the cab driver being shot, and then, of course, like, try to like turn off a rock concert because she hates heavy, loud music. Like, it was just like a, a fun little... It's definitely a one-and-done. It's definitely not something that I think should have been mapped out to, like, a full arc where we get our, our you know, our, like, tragic backstory. The couple of pages of just explaining her father was a fireworks maker is funny. Fireworks king. Yeah, fireworks king, sorry. Uh, like the mattress king or the, the used car king. <laughs> you know, the, that type of king. Yeah. Uh, like, that was amusing. Um, and the arts, you know, fine and uh, what it is. I, I particularly enjoyed Jason's, like, evil grin as he's about to turn the power back on. Uh, it's almost like he's enjoying it a little too much, which maybe is a sign of, uh, of things, <laughs> of to, things come. to come. Yes. Uh, and then he's really into the band when they start playing again. He's like, ah, oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's quite delayed. Um, but, you know. And of course, the uh, the joke at the end is that the police say to her, "You have the right to remain silent." That's the perfect place to end the issue. I have to give him that. Which not not only does it tie into, of course, her whole thing, but the song the band is singing is also the sound of silence. So there's like an extra layer of comedy in there, mm-hmm. just for just for shits and giggles. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's nothing special, I don't think. But as far as like a sort of goofier sort of old school style of Batman comic at uh, decent time. Yeah, I have very little to actually complain about with it. It's solid. Uh, I definitely recommend this what one you re- to people. Whereas what are you reading it? Uh, it's a 7. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It's a fun 7 out of 10. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Wonder Woman issue 3, George Perez and Len Wein. Uh, obviously, again, Perez being the artist and co-writer. <laughs> so, um, as opposed to my usual format of saying the names. So, yeah, this continues kind of where we expect. Although, I don't know if I was expecting Wonder Woman to just drop Steve off at a hospital, uh, off-panel, because we start the issue and she's with Hermes and she's been showing other things. Like, Steve's a separate and he's on his own and that plot is kind of its own subplot throughout the issue. Um, yeah, she's like, ah, I don't care about this chump. I think what got me in this issue is how much... Uh, I, can't, I forget which one it is, but... Because Phobos and Demos are both doing different things. Because what one's, like... One, this is funny because I just watched The Omen 3 and there's a scene in The Omen 3 where Damien, who's an adult in the, the third one, is like talking to all the disciples of hell. It's all these random people who who are, you know, secretly doing his bidding. And that's kind of what happens in this with one of them, where they're talking to all these people who have sworn to Ares. So uh, they're all there listening mm-hmm. to him. But the other one was giving me some serious Power Rangers vibes. And not just because we're talking about Power Rangers later in the episode, but uh, 
because it essentially like, puts it gets like a little like doll thing. It's getting into like a furnace or like a magical furnace, and I think part of it them them watching through the portal yeah. as well adds to that effect. But so I mean, obviously, then it turns out to be like uh, another daughter of Ares or whatever by the end of the end of the issue. Uh, but I just I was getting those vibes from it. It was really cracking me up. I was getting Power Rangers vibes. Um, so yeah, so there's a whole thing. So what one of the people who are working for the villains, one of these like a loyal people. Is this a you know soldier who, and I say soldier, he's, he's he must be fairly high ranking, but he he says um, no 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 one's seen Steve. He's still under suspicion for everything that's happened, so they won't let Ea or the other generals see him. Uh, but of course, he then tries to kill Steve uh, a little bit later on, and Steve kind of has to fight his way out. Um, but what's funny is though is it's actually the nurse who tries to kill him, and I got a good chuckle out of Steve just because. I mean, when he said what he saw, I was like, I looked back at the pals and went, oh yeah, you can kind of see she's like, you know, she's putting some air into the syringe, she's she's kind of setting him up to die. But I didn't really quite get exactly what she was doing in the first read-through, so when he just like punched her randomly, I was like, oh, what's going on, Steve, why are you punching a nurse? Yeah, it does very clearly show it's an empty vial yeah. that she's just taking air out of into the syringe. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's such a sort of, and it's not even because the art's like, I mean, because the art's very good for a start, but it's not even just like, I'm not suggesting that more modern art would show this better. It's more just that it's such a minutiae thing that I don't know if any comic art can successfully get this across without maybe, I don't know, some other sign or some aid. I think, I get where you're coming from, because there's no context to, to compare it against a full bottle. Yeah. So we don't know what a full bottle with something in it looks like. And this... Obviously, it's not. It's still not completely clear and see through. It's it's curvature, so it's got reflection and it's got her fingers on it. And and you can see. I think what does give it away is you can see her finger on the other side, but you could also just assume there's a relatively clear liquid in there uh, if if you didn't know better. Yeah, because uh, that that scene happens right after we see Phoebus uh, uh, or Demos uh, talking to all the, and we see a nurse and a general in the crowd. So it kind of sets it up in the previous page. That one's uh, Demos. That's one of these Demos. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's a fun time, and then the general starts fighting Steve as well. So we have this action scene in the hospital where Steve ends up kind of going on the run, um, and the the general or corporal or or colonel, whatever the rank that the dude is, whatever one tried to kill Steve, the other one then shoots him in the back, like because he failed, kind of thing, uh, because they have because he because he's like, oh, Steve's trying to escape. You have to cover things up, and he just gets shot in the back. It was a sergeant. He was a sergeant. Oh, the one I didn't say. The great. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd cover my bases. Uh, so, and Steve, of course, goes to speak to uh, speak to Air um, to sort of try and clear things up and see what see what they can do. Uh, he does say he has vague memories of like flying with a woman uh, in the sky, but he doesn't know for sure. Like it's all kind of hazy, uh, which kind of makes sense. I think when you just wake up in the hospital as well, it's reasonable to assume that. Maybe you don't trust the weird visions in your mind like that. Yeah. Plus, you know, he he had just like been ejected from like a plane when he was saved or whatever. So it's not like to to think that maybe he banged his head and is maybe imagining some things. It's not necessarily an absurd idea for him. I don't think at this particular point. Not at all. Uh, one of women's plot on the other side of things, though, is that she is taken to a librarian who is going to help her, uh, basically learn about the world. You know, Hermes drops her off here. Um. And gives her the uh, the amulet thing, the MacGuffin from his 
me staff. And this woman luckily speaks some Greek. Um, it doesn't quite match what Diana is saying. She she notes that it's like half Greek, half kind of to her gibberish. But yeah, the their language evolved in its own way that started as Greek, yeah. but obviously kind of became its own. Which makes sense. Variation. Yeah, your thoughts went into that, which is nice. That's that's how languages evolve. But yeah. of course, Diana starts to learn how to speak English throughout the the, the, the issue. And this woman takes her home uh, to live with her and her, her daughter. Um, and in fact, the, the daughter had a line at one point that really cracked me up, where she's she goes on the phone to her boyfriend. It's after realizing that this 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 woman in this weird costume is going to stay with them. And she's, she, she goes up to the room and calls her boyfriend on the phone and says, no, don't come up for a study date. And there's a little thought bubble with her just saying to herself, I don't want him seeing that stone-cold fox. <laughs> she's, she's worried that her boyfriend's... Gr- yeah, because, yes, this, this, this woman who... I mean, I don't know how old the room's about to be here. I guess she's still maybe quite young, so maybe she would be around their age. I, I would say she looks youthful uh, at most early 20s. Yeah, but, yes... But I, I guess what I like about it is that it's obviously a silly thought coming from a teenage girl. Like, you know, why you know, does, does she really think that this this random woman who can't speak English is going to turn around and actually go for her boyfriend? Um, but yeah, it was just funny, and the art was good in that panel as well because they look a worry in her face as she and she's doing that thing where she's sort of holding the phone at the bottom as well, like she's in hushed tones and she's like, "Yes, don't yeah. come over." It's, it's as if she's yeah. making sure he can't hear how sexy this woman is in the house, like. No, you must not hear the sexiness. I must, I must hold it close. Yeah, I, I, every day because it starts. But she's just like lying on a bed uh, with a phone, like really casual. Mm-hmm. And she's not even holding it with her hand. She's got a book or something. But when it gets to this part, it, that's when you know she, she's right. She almost sits up a bit, and you know that's when she grabs the phone and you know, you know brings the hand in. So you you definitely get a a sense of it. You know, shifting through the conversation. Yeah. Uh, so Phoebus, the statue he created, he he posted it <laughs> in the mail to this woman because he's trying to sabotage Diana, obviously. A little less Power Rangers. Yeah, think. it's a little less Power Rangers. Uh, but then his eyes open, of course, once it's on the mantle, uh, and the teenage daughter's like asleep on the couch, and we hear a scream. Diana and the mother, like you know, run downstairs to see what's going on, and we see. Uh, her sort of reformed into her actual form, which is a uh, DK is what she's called, uh, and she's got this long, purple, maybe a bit more lavender hair, uh, very sort of witch-like though, and scraggy, big sort of red demonic eyes, very scrawny, you know. I I like that she was wearing because that makes sense for decay because decaying. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, like would, it's it's there. You, you wouldn't know. expect someone who builds their whole identity around the word decay to decay to be like fat. <laughs> exactly. It, it's it's just visually, uh, unless it's some sort of mobster nickname, in which yes. case it makes perfect sense. But uh, you know, the the idea here being, you know, okay, you know, visually it completely lines up with the name. Uh, makes it fits. Yes. Um, I think I, I I implied earlier. I remember there being the daughter of someone. She's actually the daughter of Medusa. I think I said I said I just threw out the word Aries earlier. <laughs> but uh, now I'm on the page. It's Medusa. Uh, she says it. Is that Medusa specifically? Yeah. Uh, as my mother, the Medusa turned men to stone. Okay. So I shall render them to dust. Because I know uh, earlier in the issue when uh, he was gathering the, the you know the, the stuff for the statue, mm. he went to you know the the Gorgon's heart. I think it said. Mm. Um, but uh, you know at that point I was like, well there are three gorgons uh so i mean didn't have to be medusa but uh 
it says at the end here so that makes sense uh the issue ends the cliffhanger of her dropping the house on top of them basically so that's that's where we end the the whole thing uh but obviously i mean the art's still fantastic the the you know decay looks great uh especially the the close-ups in her face as well where she's got like i guess red smoke coming out of her mouth as she speaks uh yeah it's coming out of her hands as well at one point yeah yeah like uh it's great I really love how, you know, Diana's in, like, a semi-casual clothing here. Like, she's still got a full outfit on, but she's got, like, a Wait, like a jacket over the top. You say semi-casual. She's got, like, a basically a lumberjack shirt on top, just casually sort of thrown on top of her outfit. Yeah, but it gives it, like, this completely different feel, doesn't it? <laughs> um, it's one I eat in my clothing, so I'm not going to say semi-casual. I'm going to say it's slightly covering her up, maybe warming her up a little bit. I, I think it becomes semi-casual because it's it's no longer the formal wear mm. of just the suit. It's there there is an item of casual clothing there, so it becomes semi. That's that's the rules. I don't make them. Uh huh. Very good. Uh, what are you rating Wonder Woman issue three? Uh, I'm gonna give it eight point five. Another great issue. Uh, yeah, it's hard to fault to be honest. It's done a it's done a really good job of like building up both Steve's sort of like conspiracy side of the story. Uh, I kind of like how the two villains we've got, Phoebus and Demos here, I kind of like how uh, almost indirectly they're kind of split between Steve and Diana because one is like sending henchmen to kill Steve and the other one's sending a monster. If, well, a monster. It's... You know, for Diana. Yeah, no, I get it. Like, the idea is they've kind of, between them, almost divvied up the problems. Yeah. Like, you deal with one, I'll deal with the other. Yeah, just kind of naturally. Like, I'm, I'm sure that won't last long and it'll end up crossing over. Probably once Steve and Diana themselves start I'll crossing over. Probably get in each other's way. Yeah. So, it's the... Uh, so yeah, Wonder Woman's going to get to fight something next issue, which is kind of a first actually for the most part in this. So that's actually kind of cool. Mm. We'll see how that plays. Um, so my rating though, which is what I was building up to, uh, I'll also go with eight point five. So there you go. Uh, nice. The Flash seventy five, Mark Wade writing with Greg Larock on the art. Uh, this is kind of an issue that. Like, because I, I read this last week, because we were supposed to record last week, and I'd read, like, half the books, and I skimmed the ones I hadn't read. And I came back to this one, and I was like, I don't remember, like, half this issue. And I think the reason for it is because this issue is almost entirely the ending. In terms of, like, what's important and what the dramatic weight comes from, um, the idea that Barry is starting to get a bit more unhinged, and the first big sign that he's not really Barry, or if he is Barry, there's something very wrong with them, is this idea... That, so we have these like uh these guys who are like stealing tech from like labs and stuff like that. The openings a really exciting sequence where uh, the train derails and like uh, uh you know we have two of the flashes trying to like stop the train with the you know the tornado arms to slow it down and it's not quite enough. But then the third one comes in. It's all three of them: Jay Barry and Wally all together, and they're able to stop the train. It's a really fun, exciting sequence. The art's uh, you know delightful, um, really good stuff. Uh, but they're tracking down more of these these guys stealing stuff, and there's a whole big moment where they're, they're surrounding this lab that they're all in, and there's a moment where Wally gets, like, you know, covered in rubble or blasted or, or whatever, and one of the guys says, oh, I think we killed the Flash. And Barry is, like, unhinged, and he's, like, beating the shit out of this guy, and Wally kind of takes him off. But we find out in the next couple of pages, Wally, in his narration, talks about how he can't quite believe what he actually heard Barry say, which we didn't hear in the first time we saw this scene. 
it, this is kind of, it, it saves it for the cliffhanger, which I think is very smart. I think this is a good, smart bit of writing, is the idea that this is getting at Wally, it's in his head, we don't know what it is yet, but then we hear it for the final panel, which is what Barry's actually upset about, he's not angry that Wally's dead, he's angry that someone called him the Flash, because he says, no, I'm the Flash. And it's a sign that something's wrong. It's like, oh, wait. It's It's got like a double thing where there's the I'm the Flash because part of it is the, you know, like I said, the identity of his mm-hmm. legacy here, um, which again is, is neatly seated earlier in the issue because uh, after the train, uh, there's a kid that you know wants an autograph, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, hey, maybe someday you'll follow in my footsteps too. And he's, he's looking over at, you know, at Wally, you know, you know, the idea that, hey, you know, there's, there's, you know, someone else can be the Flash. And it's it plays nicely at that point. Um, but then the the other element of it is is maybe there's a genuine worry from Barry that he's not actually Barry. If that makes sense, like it's not just oh, I, the identity. I thought of uh, that. Issue. Yeah, I, I I took it as sort of this angry out of character person who, despite what else what else he said in the issue, is actually extremely like egotistical and jealous and livid at the idea that someone else would consider anyone but him the Flash. Uh, yeah. I do think it's both, the, uh, to be honest with the you. The other scene, though, that I, I that set this up as well is a conversation between Wally and Linda uh, over breakfast where they're talking about, oh, you know, it's a little bit confusing. It was all being called The Flash at the same time. And uh, there's a bit of a meta joke here where uh, she's suggesting other names for him. And she's like, well, what about, you know, uh, Lightning, Cheetah, Pegasus? And then there's the, there's the little, you know, Marvel joke where she says, what about Quicksilver? And he's like, very taken. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Very good. After after cheater, he says take. Him. Yes. Uh, very good. Um, but you know, uh, and then she misses zip, and they have a bit of fun. And I actually think the art in these couple of pages is fantastic. Um, like mm-hmm. the the home life stuff in this issue, just this stuff here out out of costume, is probably the best art in the issue. Yeah, especially he goes to tickler. If if I have a complaint about the art, and it's not really a complaint, it's more my eyes. But so there's a there's a moment in the middle of this page where he's tickling her and her legs kind of coming up as she's laughing, um, and it's kind of it kind of you know it mm-hmm. kind of like overlaps some of the other panels a little bit. The layout's really good. The only complaint I have is that there's a I saw a panel that's sort of just behind her ass, right? Uh, which is a close up of I guess it's her chest actually. Now I'm looking at it, but whatever. It yeah, is, yeah. Uh, I, but it's just it's to show he's tickling the the abdomen uh, is the point of it, but. Uh, because of like where this like pink crop top is and the blue shorts she's got on, my eyes for some reason thought the legs were coming from that little panel, and I thought, "What's going on here? What's this? What's this weird body?" Um, uh, I'm like, uh, I because whenever I read this, that didn't like register in my brain. It just for thankfully it registered properly. Mm-hmm. I I I get what you're you know, getting it, at. I've definitely had that in other comics before. Yeah. But I can't even see what you were seeing. Like I can't see. Well, the it, it looked like I was. I was. It was confusing me. And then I sort of, sort of, like, sort of took a step back and went, "Oh, the legs are coming from up there." I was like, "Okay, that's where the legs are." Okay, that's fine. That's fine. You know, what I think might have caused you your problem mm-hmm. here because I think I uh, now seeing what you. It's had, because the bubble. I think there is actually a problem. It's the, it's the lettering bubble. The, the bubbles read across the way into the other panel, so I took that as a new line of like content. Uh. There's that, and I think also just the fact that the the middle bubble that's over her body and her arm physically cuts over uh, her body because mm-hmm. of where her arm is. So you see the top half above the panel, uh, above the bubble, sorry, and then the the you know, the, the belly and the leg are underneath. 
so it looks completely separate because of the the placement yeah. of the bubble. I think if you shift the bubble just slightly to the right so that you can still see some of her body behind the bubble, you don't have that disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a big deal. It was a minor thing, but it was it was something that kind of threw me mm. off a little bit uh when I saw it. Um but yeah. There was also a scene where Barry's acting a little bit weird. Uh he's sort of in an alleyway kind of looking for something. Uh, he's not quite accepted like things and he's because because they find him just kind of there right he's just kind of like wandering yeah um and he's like oh you know there, there was something he, he goes oh, i had this feeling that there was something here could provide a clue and it does as they're leaving there is a close-up of what well, looks I don't know, it's, a, it's a bit of paper um but it says you know alan on it clearly mm. is, is the one word i can make out and then the villains come out in the techno drum from this lab where they all speed over to go and that's where we get to the ending we talked about there's a lot of action in that that scene though of them like you know dodging laser beams and and i think that's why this issue is sort of forgettable in a lot of ways because you know when you, you were saying this i was you know just kind of flicking through it myself because mm. i also read this a week ago and I, I panicked for a second i was like i don't remember any of this for the first like seven or eight pages like did i actually read this um because i think you have two of these action sequences which are basically the same like mm-hmm. the, the one with the train and then the one here at the end they're very interchangeable the funny thing is though and... is that i don't think like the the issue is actually still very effective and you know that, that final page now that i'm looking at it again i think the other thing it does here that's really smart is that Part part of what that earlier scene was when the, the tickling happened is that we're talking about him liking tacos a lot, right? And eating a lot of tacos. Um, this scene has Linda making him tacos, but he's kind of slouching and he's not happy. It's like the total opposite of that previous happy scene. So the the art and the visuals also go along with the idea that something's really weighing on him. So it really sells the build up to that final moment where you get to see Barry scream, "I'm the Flash!" Like so. Yeah, and there's the moment um where. Barry's like, you, know, you did what? Um, and uh, it has this big, massive panel of just this boom. Um, you know, it was, you know, he's like, oh, he's caused a, a sonic boom. But the panel of it itself uh, covers about half the page. is absolutely fantastic. It's you know this yellow background, you know, and the big boom in the purple lettering kind of is at this angle that it takes over the page. It takes completely over the panel. It's it's fantastic stuff. Yeah. So I actually think it's a good issue overall. It's just that. It kind of has just some generic action, which looks good. Like, the action is solid. It's but, fine while you're reading it. But the po- the main point of the issue is the ending and the, the couple of scenes that kind of set up that ending really well, and those mm-hmm. are really good and are really well done. Because when I got to, when I was skimming through it, I was like, oh, yes, of course, they, they had this big ending, and that, that was kind of what the memorable part was. Uh, and I think that's okay, because I, when we go to the next issue, I'm sure that the only thing that's really important from this issue that we have to remember is this big moment towards the end where Barry yelled this out. The, the people that were beaten up and what they were doing is probably not going to be that important or relevant. And and if it is end up being important and relevant, I'm sure they'll set up who they are again. It's not going to be something they're going to expect us to have an in-depth knowledge of. I agree. I think in the 22 or so pages, there are seven or eight good to great pages. And those pages are really good, or, you know, like I say, you know, absolutely great, that make the issue worth it overall and still make it a solid issue. And the action is fine while you're reading it. It doesn't do anything wrong. And as I said, it has that one panel that is particularly good. But when you think back on the issue, you know, you just skim through, it's like, oh yeah, there's a lot of action that's just kind of there. Mm. Um, that kind of, it feels a little bit padded. What are you reading it? Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5. I think it would have been an 8 if it had you know, been a bit tighter. 
Yeah. The things it's good at, it's really good at, is, is the weird mm. thing here. Uh, and then the things that it's not doing as greatly, it's still doing solidly. It's not... So... Yeah, I, I don't want to keep agreeing with you, but 7.5. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of just the right score. Birds of Prey, issue 9, Chuck Dixon Rain, Greg Land on art. And, uh, you know, we have a very typical setup for an issue of Birds of Prey. Dinah's looking for someone uh, somewhere. When the issue opens, I'll tell you. <laughs> but she's, you know, she's on the run from oh, the, 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 the Iron Brigade in this case, but the, the local military. Uh, and she's look That looks suspiciously like those villains in Flash. <laughs> or bizarrely, but obviously there's years, years apart, so it's just a coincidence. Uh, yeah. It's actually a really glorious page here. Of There's a two-page spread of, like, Diana... Uh, Diana, sorry. Dina, um, Standing there with all the lasers of the guns pointing at her. And she's just kind of like, eh, <laughs> whatever. And she's just got a smirk in her face. It's, it's a yeah. nice page. Um, but... This was a. This is almost like a proof of concept issue. It's, it's almost like okay, that last issue, if you didn't like that, it was more focused on Nightwing and Babs. We're going to give you the most typical Birds of Prey, and I mean this in a, as a compliment. But the action of it, all on the ending, uh, which reveals where the story is kind of going, because uh, it's got a cliffhanger that I'm sure they're going to dive into, and some of the continuing world building of the Pentagon people tracking Barbara's use of their tech and satellites, uh, is that. Dane is in action. Action's happening. But what really makes it pop is the banter between Dana and Barbara. And them talking about Jason, cracking jokes about how many Jasons Barbara knows. And she's like, well, what Jason? I mean, Jason Blood, Jason Todd. <laughs> like, I've got tons of Jasons. This this is what I missed last issue, uh, basically. Uh, uh, you know, like I say, this is the, the typical Birds of Prey issue. This is what I want out of this book. Uh, I want these two, you know, Diana just do, you know, doing her action stuff, Babs talking her through stuff, but really informally, just kind of chatting along, having kind of, a, you know, like a really good back and forth. Yeah, well, I miss it because I still like Last Issue, but this is still the main appeal of the book. So coming back to this obviously feels comfortable. It feels nice and relaxing. And they talk about Babs' weird pen pal, who Bab acknowledges might be a 12-year-old in a basement, and that's okay. It's just it's just a pen pal, whatever. Uh, it's like, that's the internet for you, basically. Yeah. Uh, so that's all going. Um, I do kind of like that. The so the, so the, this guy in the Pentagon who was hunting her down and failed spectacularly because she led him to to Blockbuster. Uh, I love that she, he's furious here because Babs has like accessed a satellite that's off the books. It's maybe like top secret. No one's meant to know about it. And he's like, yeah, but we can't keep chasing because we you know we screwed up last time, and we have to hope no one notices. I kind of like that this is continuing, but it's continuing in a different manner where. You know, it's building to something like this. This running gag of like her using their tech is evolving. Yeah, and I actually really like the pacing of this here because it's you know it's a it's a military satellite that has weapons capabilities, yes. and he's like, all right, all right, okay, that's not the jump the gun here. They've accessed it. What are the chances of them arming it? And then the very next panel is just you know all clear fire. Yeah, the, the, the very next page is it's not a full page, but it's like a two thirds of a page is just the laser beam coming down from the sky. <laughs> yeah. so yeah the, the comic timing here is really good uh and this is when they're bantering about the jasons and and whatnot uh and the jason will be fine uh eventually uh it's taking a bit of time mm -hmm. i actually kind of like that the reason why she even asked is because the the bright flash of the laser uh made Diana cover her eyes and that made her think oh jason yeah he was kind of blind uh how's he doing <laughs> like i appreciated something motivated it and it wasn't just random. Yeah, and it was a callback to something that happened in the book, so it was a nice little continuity thing. Um, mm -hmm. 
So, of course, um, yeah, they get to the, this door um, where they're going. Uh, th- whoever's in charge of this country they're in, uh, he gets woken up to be alerted by what's going on. But the main thing is that Dana gets to the scientist um, who insists that they can't leave without someone else. They have to go downstairs and get someone else. So they go down there. There's like a, you know, a classic style test tube chamber with someone in a liquid all hooked up to various things. And this scientist says, no, we have to get this guy out of here. And the big cliffhanger with the most mushroom cut of mushroom cuts. Guy Gardner comes out of this test tube. If I wasn't enjoying this issue enough, you throw me a Guy Gardner. Ah, oh, this 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 was made for me. This this was an apology after the last issue, just for me. Oh <laughs> uh, dear, yeah. I mean, obviously, the last page ruined the book for me, but um, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a fun issue. It, it's got everything you want in a Birds of Prey issue. The back and forth with Dinah and Babs might even be the best it's been because maybe it's just like you know, Ooh. Dixon's at, at this point is become so comfortable with their voices that it just everything's clicking and there's a history that they're referencing back to now so it's it's starting to feel like it's not just banter it's feeling like it's actually the ongoing story is being told because partly through it they're not just building this relationship anymore there is a relationship and they're just you know referencing back on their own stuff now yes uh and then the cliffhangers okay what we're doing why why was guy gardner in this container what's going on so yeah fun uh fun issue and the art is typically pretty good obviously some greg landy in this here or there but like we like we've said before this is before he got really bad so yeah uh so no that's a fun issue uh what are you giving it uh this is exactly what i wanted from the book this is an 8.5 straight 8 out of 10 from me uh, very good very good gsa issue 18 jeff johns and david goyer writing with steven sadowski and steve yule on the art uh, this, of course, is continuing the Injustice Be Done. Uh, we ended with a cliffhanger last time of of, uh, of Midnight uh, being, well, I was going to say blinded, <laughs> by seeing Johnny Sorrow's face, but technically he's blind. Yeah. So we suspect that's how they're going to get out of it. But this issue doesn't really advance much because uh, we're in that moment and then Sand thinks back to his history with him. Uh, and this it serves as an origin story for at least this version of, of Johnny Sorrow. Um, where the originally he was just a goofy guy with tech who was robbing banks or whatever. He wasn't anything special. He wasn't this weirdly supernatural entity that he is now with the mask. Um, and it's actually Sand's fault that he became this. Sand inadvertently caused this this turn of events. Uh, so I'd for, you know I'd forgotten what all this backstory was. I, I had a fascinating time reading this. I don't know. I mean, are you, are you positive on this issue? I'm mixed on this issue. I think the issue itself isn't bad. I think the the content of the 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 backstory is interesting enough. I like the the dynamics it kind of leaves going forward between uh, him and Sand. Mm-hmm. I do think it hurts the flow of the story though. Just kind of having this big exposition dump of a backstory as a full issue in the middle of quite a dramatic point. Uh, I think that harms quite a lot. I think it's the right choice in this case. I think if you tried to split this up and like tell it, like, let's say you did a thing where you maybe like decolored it a little bit so it was clearly a flashback and you maybe put put it in parts throughout the, the arc, right? Starting a couple issues ago. I think there was so much going on in so many different pockets of characters in those last two issues that it would have been like so insanely overstuffed trying to like squeeze some of this in, like sprinkled throughout. So I think 
while I get the complaint that it's like we, we completely stop, I actually kind of prefer that in this sense. You know, if you imagine a TV show where okay, we're going to do a flashback episode uh, right after a cliffhanger, instead of moving forward, we're going to go back and tell you something that's relevant to what was going to happen going forward. I think it works in that sense. I get where you come from. I think it's more just the placement of it. I think like obviously you'd have to tweak a few things, but just the concept of the the origin issue uh, for Johnny Sorrow, I feel I would have preferred it between arcs okay. rather than in the middle of the arc. I can see that working. They could have done that for sure. Um, ultimately, though, I, I was really into the backstory and seeing the the Golden Age version of, of, of Johnny Sorrow. Um, and, s- and it does give them a good excuse to have two artists. It, yeah. it feels natural. And, you know, Sand, uh, the Golden Boy, as he was calling himself uh, at the time. Sandy. Sandy, right? the Golden Boy, sorry. Um, but, you know, he is responsible. He, he fires... Uh, an arrow at the the device he's wearing to phase through things and speed around, and that sends him into the uh, you know what, what do they call it later the uh, oh uh, I can't remember the name of the the other dimension. Oh dear, it'll come up. Um, uh, the subtle realms. Thank you, I got there. Uh, so he sends him into the subtle realms and how it, this kind of rebuilt them in the the style of this realm exists and that's how he became this current version and he spent a long time there until it spit him back out um and he comes after sandy the golden boy and gets him at this theater uh i did like that the theater is playing todd browning's freaks at the front i thought that was a nice little uh, touch given the transformation that he's went through um and you know he's killed uh the seven shadows which i am not going to pretend that i knew who they were other than this panel of him explaining that they we're connected to the mystery men uh but yeah like we, he tells his backstory we get this sort of almost demonic otherworldly almost love crafty and kind of idea of him being absorbed by this dimension and like reforming into this current form um and bec- as he because he was gone when he does does come back and he's got his mask on he goes to see his wife that he loves dearly and it's actually taking his mask off to see his wife where he discovers what taking his mask off will do to someone. So it leads to the death of his wife. So not only does he blame Sand for his own predicament, but also the death of the person he loves. Um, you know, maybe if this hadn't happened, maybe he could have lived with being different and just stayed with his wife and he would never have become this ultra super villain that he is now. But Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, uh, before he takes his mask off, though, the, uh, the GSA of the time show up and save the day. Um, the spectre there's especially uh, to sort of keep him contained um, and the king of tears does show up because that's kind of his whole point that's his purpose is to like let the king of tears come from that dimension into the real world because yep. uh, he wants to take over but they are able to to contain it but there's even an explanation for here for how, why it's actually li- just a liquid now uh, we, get, we get kind of a a moment here uh, where it turns into that, uh, like Spectre absorbs it and then cries it out. It's li- literally tears <laughs> into a container, uh, which is obviously makes sense, right? Yeah, which is obviously where they were keeping it when when uh, Sorrow stole it a number of issues ago. So, um, I loved all this stuff, and that, that's obviously when it kind of wraps up and comes back. Uh, Scarab, like, there's just stuff growing out of him, like matters just flowing out of him and building around the the house and whatnot. Um, and the King of Tears is upon us. Uh, and that's kind of the big cliffhanger of the issue. So, in terms of the actual present day story moving forward, uh, basically it's just the King of Tears showed up, and that was it. Um, 
pretty much. The rest of it, though, um, I enjoyed the backstory. I, I think what I like about this, and what I like about this run especially, and this is where it's kind of starting to get to the meat of it, is that it really lets to, it, it gives it a chance to treat all of these characters who are on the GSA and give them their own stories so that it feels like a, a, a true ensemble, but you know, we, we all hear 50 times how Batman started. We all hear 50 times how Superman started. It was rebooted and redone. It's actually so refreshing to just get a backstory of a character that I'm really becoming to enjoy in this book and be like, oh, hey, I don't really know this. This is really exciting to get this backstory. And the fact that now Johnny Sorrow has a personal vendetta against Sand makes him as a villainous presence even just that little bit more interesting on top of just how kind of cool and scary he was before. Oh, definitely. And I think it's something that's been lost in comics a little bit recently in that we don't have runs that go on long enough mm-hmm. to start, you know, to really, you know, I think this is probably not the, the creator's fault necessarily, but they're probably afraid they only have, you know, 12 issues to do their story because that's all they're told they've got and then it's our own, we'll review it then. So they, they don't want to spend time or potentially waste time losing an issue of their story doing something like this because they're like, I need to do my story. Uh, and, and they don't know until it's much later that, oh, well, you've got more time than you thought, uh, even on those longer runs now, uh, whereas I think it was a little bit different, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, it's a shame, because I actually kind of prefer this as a overall framework than I do... Mm, me too. You know, what a lot of modern comics have to do in terms of, like, fragmenting it, but... Hey. Um, no, a really good issue, though. I, I enjoyed the backstory stuff. Um, mm. uh, what you uh, what you read it? Uh, I'm going to give it a 6.5 because I like it well enough, but I just think it's yeah it, it flawed in where it's placed enough that it hurts the story. Uh, yeah, I can, I can get on board with that. I'm going to give this a nice straight 8 out of 10. I, I was really into learning all this backstory stuff and uh, giving Sand and Sorrow that personal connection. Um, and given, I think giving Sorrow a sense of tragedy to go along with everything else is, is kind of neat. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Justice League Power Rangers issue 4 Tom Taylor writing, Stephen Byrne on the art um, I did have to check on Comixology what the first page of issue 5 was just so I wouldn't Which, what's interesting is this is the first issue that feels like it has a last page. It does, however I will I will counter that with saying this one doesn't feel like it has a first page this, the first page of this just feels like it's the next page of an issue it, it, This goes back to what I was saying uh, last time where I'm like, the more I read it, the more convinced I am this was written as a as a straight to graphic novel, and then they split it up. Mm, very possible, very very possible. Um, so the big thing here is they have to raise the 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 collider out of the ground. So we have like John using his ring to do it. Well, he keeps it together while Superman and Wonder Woman actually do the lifting, the, literally the heavy lifting, if you if you will. Mm. Um. So that's a big visual. They use the dragon dagger to tether themselves to the other the other realm they're trying to get to, um, and they fly a ship through to to go back to. And they're just there in time to see Angel Grove disappear. Zach gets to see his parents through the bubble, uh, just before it shrinks. So you know, you have a big dramatic moment, which really makes them feel. Honestly, one of my favorite beats in this whole issue, before we get to the fun stuff that comes after, is. When I think is it Cyborg who calls them powerless, so the kids shouldn't help. You know, the Power Rangers shouldn't help because they're powerless. And Batman just sort of says they're not powerless. Like I just I love Batman jumping in and saying that. It's just yeah, because you know, a because Batman obviously doesn't have any superpowers, so he's very opinionated on this. That might as well call him powerless. Yes. But 
I also like the idea that he's kind of sticking up because of what he's seen of them do already. He's like, they're not powerless. Don't even start that bullshit. Um, yeah, yeah. Like they've just had them on. You know, they're uh, working through all that. You know, intense CERN bullshit. Like that alone proves that they're not powerless. Entire. You know, mm-hmm. even if they were doing that mostly without you know suits or anything like that. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, we get to kind of the fun stuff where, again, Taylor's thought of some way to mix the, you know, what, what else can we have the Power Rangers do with the DC Universe stuff that could be fun? And it's like, well, they don't have their powers right now. They don't have their, their power coins. So Batman has grabbed a bunch of random stuff from the the, muse- the museum display of the Watchtower. Uh, some of it from heroes, some of it from villains. And we get the Power Rangers, like, so, to, I mean, to put it in perspective, so Kimberly's known for having a, a bow and arrow, right? That's her, like, weapon. She's got the pink bow and arrow. So she ends up with a, one of Green Arrow's bows with a boxing glove arrow. And that's just... And Flash is like, yeah, I know, it's weird. And she's like, no, no, I get it. It's when you want to punch someone who's a long way away. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Uh, Jason gets a sword, the sword of Azrael. Uh, he also gets, gets a red hood mask. <laughs> yeah, they're all wearing various... Uh... Yeah, Tommy's got Alex L- yeah. with her power armor on. Kimberly's got a hot girl outfit on. Uh, Trini's got a katana. Yeah. It's, it's just some. It's it's just enough where it makes sense. You're like, okay, this is kind of cute. Uh, so they, they they obviously they form a big attack. Some of them attack Bruniac ships. Some of them are on the ground uh, fighting back the forces. Um, Superman's causing a big distraction. Uh, most of the issue from this point on takes place on Brainiac's ship, which is Cyborg, Batman, and some of the Power Rangers try to storm the, the castle, as it were. And they don't find the Shrunken City, they don't find the Angel Grove, but Cyborg does locate the Power Coins. So there's a, a section here where it's about getting to the Power Coins, and he does get to them, he throws them to the Rangers, so they're going to t- morph again. But Cyborg has been taken over by Brainiac at this moment, and he blasts Zack. And it's uh, kind of your big kind of moment. Uh, Billy, you know, Turns into his Power Ranger self, turns into the Blue Ranger, um, and we have this big cliffhanger where he stabs Cyborg with his uh, with his spear. Is that, is that what we call that? This double-ended spear. I don't know because it's double-ended, yeah. isn't it? And it's not really a spear at that point. It's more of a just a sta- a point, a staff with pointy ends. I don't know. Whatever the correct term is, he, he stabs Cyborg with it. That's and it's a big full-page spread. That's a big cliffhanger. So it is. Does this feel, you know, final? Yep. So that's nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, like, if I have a, a complaint, and it's not really a complaint, it's just that the issues are so consistently good and basically are working in the exact same way every time that I almost have very little to add or say about this issue in particular, other than just sort of tell you what happened in it, which is what I just did. So <laughs> yeah, I think uh, art is great again. Yes. Uh, I think they're having fun. Uh, mixing the universes a little bit more as we've gone on. Uh, I, I think the biggest problem is, you know, that it just starts. It just drops in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a natural opening. Alternatively, we have a proper ending this time. So, you know, it kind of evens out in some ways. I wonder if... Uh, like, I've, I've never finished this, so I don't know what the next issues are going to bring. I wonder if we're going to end up with some of the... Because the, we've had a lot of Power Rangers using Justice League stuff. I wonder if we're going to get the, the Justice League like operating the Zords or something uh, by the end of this. That'd be fun. It feels like something that makes sense. Or maybe like one of them goes giant to fight a Zord or fight, or fight a monster. So I don't know. Like Do something with the Justice mm. League to make them more Power Ranger. 
do. At the very least, I want them to meet Zordon. I feel like Superman and Zordon would <laughs> have a nice chat. It, it definitely feels <laughs> like the Power Rangers are the star here, and they're the ones borrowing from the DC stuff. Like They're yes. the ones that are the... Even now when we're in their universe, it's still... But here's the DC stuff that the Power Rangers get to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with that. I hope it does some a little bit of the, the reversal now that we're in their universe. It's almost a shame they can't have it end with, uh, you know, that Justice League Megazord from the start of Metal? Like, somehow, like, bring that into it where they they both have their own Megazords. Yeah, yeah. It's the sort of thing where I wonder if maybe they don't do a lot of that in this because that was mm. on the line for a potential sequel, like when they were planning it. Not not that they even, you know, was ever even like officially talked about. Not that it was shut down, but more just they kept it in the back pocket in case they were asked to do more. And they were like, right, okay, well I can, you know, flip it that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially if we're staying in Angel Grove's universe for for the rest of the story for the most part. Because that, that's where the danger is. That's where they try to stop everything. I would assume uh, so, yeah. Because uh, uh, the only thing I could think of is that Batman has some sort of big mech suit that he's going to maybe... Not that it's as big as a Zord, but... Well, not, not the Megazord, certainly. Maybe he's big as, like, like the Triceratops Zord <laughs> or something like that. Sure, uh, yeah. But hey, whatever. Uh, but I'll finish you. What are you giving it? Uh, I'll give it eight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's good. It's good, it's good, it's fun. Uh, so there you go. Um, Batgirl, issue 15, Brian Q. Miller writing Pierre Perez on the art. This is... Sorry, no, it's not. This is the one issue we didn't, or one of two issues we did not check the art credits for beforehand because Pete was like, yeah, no, I know I know the art, it's fine. It's it's not Pierre Perez, it's Dustin Wynn. I said Pierre Perez, I'm sure it did. I'm looking at the credits page right now, it's, it's Dustin Wynn. What are you talking about? I'm looking at the credits page, it says Pierre Perez. Issue 15. The, the Bruce Wayne issue? The Road Home? Oh, maybe this is a one-shot I've read in the trade. Oh, well, I haven't read this thing, so I'm not reading the trade. Oh, that's what's happened. So you shut your mouth at us, Pierre Perez. Shut your filthy mouth! <laughs> that that one-shot may well be Pierre Perez, but you didn't tell me I needed to read that. I, I didn't realise it was a one-shot next. I, I just read the next issue in the trade. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, right, I'll tell you what happened. You can, you can keep your extra 15 thoughts in your back pocket for next time. Uh, oh, great. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, now I'm thinking about it, I remember the collection for all these one-shots that I'm thinking of. Like, they all had, like, you know, Bruce Wayne, The Return, colon, Batgirl, colon, Oracle, colon. You know Because I, I don't think I've ever read that one-shot. Yeah. So when you said, oh, it's the, you know, the this one shot or not, well, not one shot you know the tie-in i just assumed you were referring to this opening section no 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 no, no. so uh there's a quick scene of back from the past when spoiler interact with batman and didn't feel trusted the the plot of this issue is that um and i'll, I'll double check by the way as much as i'm saying this i'll double check this is actually what i'm thinking it is when i'm because i'm just guessing it's this one shot right now but it's, it explains what the mistake's been, so I'm assuming it is. Uh, uh, while you tell us about yes. it, I'm going to go to Comixology and see what's in this tra- you on the second volume now. Uh, yes, I believe so. Um, okay. So, uh, as long as it's in the trade, this will be right. Um, basically, Bruce is back, but he's pretending to be a villain, robbing Wayne Enterprises, for, and it's basically all just a test death. And uh, it's... 
got a lot of the banter we love. Uh, I think that was the other thing here that, that, that you know has been really consistent, much like Birds of Prey, bizarrely. Um, but in fact, there's even a great joke in here where uh, when when she talks to Babs after this, she's had this fight with this enemy and it barely went okay, and you know he got away because his his suit's giving him superpowers. Um, they have this conversation where they're they're kind of talking about how. Well, this guy also fought Batman and Robin the other night, right? Which is obviously a reference to, you know, the other one shot. And she says that, you know what? Like, why did he go so easy on you? And she's like, easy? And then there's like a pause and she's like, fair. And that's kind of a running joke in the issue. There's a couple of times when Steph does that, where she'll sort of say, what? And then it goes, fair. <laughs> um, but she's like, oh, maybe I'll set the birds of prey on them. Uh, strength in numbers. And Steph's like, Oh yeah, Batgirl and the birds. Yeah, let's do, let's do, let's do a team up. And she's like, no, not you, just the birds. <laughs> um, so and then Proxy's there later on. And but there's it. It's a shame we didn't read it because it's actually full. It's a Brian Q. Miller issue, so it's still full of that voice. It's still full of these these beats. I I will say, having jumped straight to issue fifteen, more full me. How dare I? Yes. Um, I didn't feel like I was missing an issue. Well, that's good. But by the, by the nature of this series, mostly kind of being either short arcs or you mm-hmm. know a series of one shots, I didn't feel like I'd missed anything. Yeah. Well, uh, regardless, uh, yeah. So more fun stuff with uh, Steph and and Babs. Steph's investigating kind of on her own with Proxy because I mean Babs told her to stand down, but she's going to investigate anyway. And there's things that don't quite add up. She finds that they, like whoever this you know quote-unquote villain is he's stolen some sort of big fancy gun that can shoot through walls and she suspects there's going to be an assassination they find the lair but there's something not quite you know making sense about it it leads to crime alley uh there's a couple of different facing she has to fight like a bunch of thugs and she's not got a costume on on her so she actually has like a purple balaclava she puts on and fights in that instead uh actually i mean obviously pierre perez has been you know the solid kind of like second artist on this this book, and he, yeah, he's he's done obviously shared some issues. He had a couple issues on his own. So uh, having not read this, I imagine it doesn't feel out of place no, because not at all. probably why you didn't notice it was the one shot. Which, by the way, the official name is Bruce Wayne: The Road Home, Batgirl issue one. There you go. That's what we're talking about. But <laughs> yeah, probably why you didn't notice is because I mean you've got Miller and Perez. It's, yeah. You know, like, could it easily it, have been issue 15. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll lay off. It does kind of say that on the title page, but I assumed it was just the title of the issue. Because, you know, the issues have titles on the title page. It, it's just normal. Absolutely, they do. Uh, if anything, me going to, to Dustin Wynn is a bigger change. Yes. Uh, in terms of, like, this this is visibly very different. So, yeah. So, so she, she tracks him down, uh, Bruce, and Bruce takes off the mask, and she's mad at him. And one of these great moments where, you know, the, the narration kind of just adds to the, the, the scene is she yells at him for playing a trick on her um, and she slaps him in the face and then her narration, she, she, she like, sort of like gasps and like holds her mouth and immediately starts going, oh my god, oh my god, in her head. And then she runs away and just sort of yells as she's running away, I'm glad you're not dead. <laughs> um, very delightful. Very delightful. Uh, there is, I mean, there is one scene that kind of sticks out a little bit, just because obviously this is part of a series of one-shots, uh, where Vicky Vale comes up to Barbara, and she's clearly investigating Bruce Wayne and thinks that he's Batman, uh, and asks her a bunch of questions. It's just one page. It's clearly something that's running through all these one-shots. It was very obvious that's what it was. Um, 
the only thing I'd forgotten is that this was a separate one-shot. I, I remembered this being a thing, and these issues being a thing. I just didn't remember it was separate one-shots rather than just issue whatever of the books. Um, but, yeah, so Bruce comes to speak to her on a rooftop. Um, and they have kind of a heart-to-heart where she explains why she got mad and why she slapped him. And it's basically this idea that she became Batgirl in his absence. She kind of took up that mantle and was approved by, by Barbara. Barbara kind of, like, gave her the torch and and let her carry this on. But Bruce never did. So the idea that if Bruce ever comes back and seeing him, he might take it away. He might say, you don't deserve that bat, that you're not part of this. Uh, even though she does know a lot about him, because there's actually a joke earlier on the issue where Proxy mentions something like, oh, what was so significant about Crime Alley? And like Steph's narration is like, oh, that's right, Wendy's not really been given the, the bat, like, oath. That, uh, <laughs> that, that briefing, essentially, mm-hmm. Uh, is the start of the next issue. Ah, nice. Which is why I thought when you were saying, oh yeah, the, the return of Bruce Wayne, you know, that is basically the story of Bruce and how we got to oh, there is, you know, the first like three we'll pages. Get, yeah, we'll get, we'll get next to properly, time. Yes, yes. Yeah, but, but that's why I thought it was that. So, it basically says, yes, I, I, you know, like I'm Batgirl and this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. I feel like I've got a purpose. I feel like this is my thing. Uh, you know, Bruce, when he's like, because Bruce has got like a, narration but it's kind of like told in like note form it's like he's taking notes on her um and he, he noticed that in some ways she reminds him of dick but in other ways she reminds him of babs uh you know in her attitude but notice that her kind of her wisecracking her wild card kind of nature while it was once a detriment to her as you know spoiler it, she's kind of grown up a little bit and it's like now a part of her arsenal that makes her different from everyone else and kind of lets her operate and even notice at the end that his return will affect her the least. She'll continue to be Batgirl and she'll almost be unfazed by him existing again, uh, which is a really neat uh, kind of point. Because she makes this big speech about how it's her own thing now and she refused to give up being Batgirl, but then she gets a little bit nervous because she sort of had her brave moment and says, uh, and, you know, in case you're mad, you know, it was mostly Oracle's thing anyway. It wasn't just me. Uh, and Bruce is like, don't back down. Don't back the cell now. Like, you've done it. Uh, if this is what you want, you know, say say you want to be Batgirl. Uh, he's, he's got a scene with Alfred afterwards where Alfred says, you know, why haven't you tracked down Cassandra Kane? Like, what's going on there? Like, she was Batgirl when you left, technically. And he's like, ah, oh, because Tim's in contact with her. I know, you know, where she is. Um, that's fine. Um, he's scared of her, basically. But my, my favorite point here, my favorite thing in this whole scene is that at one point, Alfred uh, sort of speaks up for for Stephanie. Um, he says, if I may be so bold, sir, you, you didn't need to test the young Miss Brown, uh, like her metal. You didn't have to test her metal. And there's just a little bit of narration at the bottom of the page where uh, Bruce says to himself, she's got Alfred sticking up for her. Good for you, Miss Brown. Like, the idea that Alfred sticking up for her tells him everything he really kind of needs to know. Takes a part of the family. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I thought that was sweet. Uh, and... You know, as much as it kind of shifted from Stephanie here, it actually makes even more sense to me now that this is a one-shot, that it isn't just a Batgirl issue, it's also equally kind of Bruce Wayne's issue. So the fact that we're mm-hmm. following Bruce for a few pages here is fine. And and All of a sudden it makes sense. Yeah, so... And it ends with her just... Or with the page of her, you know, firing her grappling hook and Bruce is just kind of writing down what he thinks of her. So, and there's hope for Gotham. If, if Steph could stop being the little brat that she was and now be like a, a valued member of the Bat family who's actually expanding and giving his new new ideas then maybe there's hope for the city after all so ed's in a kind of a positive note um 
Yeah, honestly, it's a really good issue. I, I don't think I'd read this, actually, because I don't think this was in the... When I read this run originally, it was in the original trades that were the, the thin trades. I don't think that was there. So this is probably the first time I read this. Um, and I thought it was really good. I, you know, it, it was... You know, it's one of those things where they want to have this month of all these one-shots, so it's maybe some contrivances in terms of Bruce doing all the things that he's doing to meet everyone. Um, there's a moment in this, for example, where he he mentions that he asked Steph to not tell Oracle yet. He wants to, like, announce his presence to Oracle on his own. And it's clear that that's just there to explain why Oracle in her own one-shot, <laughs> like, has her own encounter with him. Like, they had to do it so that there was no, like, spoiling it for her before her issue. Which I assume came later, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll on that. Really good. Uh, like I say, Alfred sticking up for him, Bruce kind of like acknowledging that is like okay, all right. So if I had any doubts, like Alfred's yeah. pledging for, uh, yeah, you know, so vouching for. Yeah, him. I'm just looking it up just to because I wanted to see if this was on DC Universe so I could read it. Um, this Batgirl one was actually the first of eight in the uh, the Road Home. Ah. Uh, series, uh, Batgirls. Uh, oh, sorry, Oracles was like two weeks later. Okay, okay. I'd recommend checking it out before the next episode if you want to just fill it in for the sake of having it read. I probably will. That's why I checked if it yeah. was here. Uh, but not really good. I would probably give us another solid eight out of ten. Um, and credit to it that it feel, it feels a part of the run. It didn't feel like it's a part of the run in the sense that it's it's, it's connected it to the larger Bat world. But at the same time, it's the same voice. The characters feel like they're in the place they are. Uh, in fact, even the, the idea that they, they teased the Wendy uh, kind of like having to be sort of like ushered in properly and going through that and that, that being something that's in the next issue, it feels like, no, it's properly a part of the run whilst also being kind of separate and that it's more about the, the larger continuity. It's kind of a perfect mm. example of a one-shot and a run that e- yeah. equally feels part of it, but also if you didn't read it, you wouldn't necessarily feel like something was a gaping hole in your your collection. Yeah, like I, said, I, I didn't feel so. that I'd missed anything, so clearly you can skip it, but with it being the regular team, I see no reason not to go back and read it. And if you've got the big, thick trades, you know, the, the two volumes, you've got it anyway, yes. so... There you go. That is the uh, that is the books. Uh, we'll quickly, of course, uh, pick our favourite uh, book of the week and worst book and best art. So, uh, worst book of the week... I suppose, sadly, it has to be Detective, I think, uh, in terms of disappointment. Yeah, yeah. not even close for me, yeah. personally. Well, it wasn't really close for me. I mean, I had nothing that rated even close to it either, but, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, best art of the week is a bit more interesting, perhaps. Um, Wonder Woman was really good art, for sure. Yeah, I think it's a boring answer for me in that I kind of just have to go Wonder Woman. Like, just like Power Rangers, solid. JSA, solid. Birds of Prey, again, solid, but they're not standout. I'll probably give it to Wonder Woman as well, although I don't think Batgirl's too far behind. Like, I want to give that a thought show. Obviously, That's fair, but I didn't yeah, see yeah, it, so... You know. Um, so there you go. Uh, best issue of the week, though. Uh, there w- there was... Was there a couple of 8.5s, if I remember right? I had a couple of 8.5s. Uh, what, what, what were you picking? Uh, the, well, the two that are 8.5s, which is the highest I gave out, were Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to give it to Birds of Prey. I really enjoyed it. Well, I think I only gave it one 8.5, so Wonder Woman just kind of takes it by default. I don't have to think about it, so there you go. Wonder Woman issue 3 takes issue of the week. Uh, what a turnaround from that New 52 run where I was 
you're just by default putting it at the bottom if, every week. Right. If it hasn't been like at least, you know, your your top choice every week, it's been in contention for mm-hmm. it. But there you go. That is the show. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us. I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Bornow, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, Brett Williams, and David Brown. They're all patrons at $20 or more over at patreon.com slash TV, where you can support us for as little as $1 per month. Uh, the $5 tier in particular is notable here because it gets you early access to the main comics podcast uh, by a day, but you get the access to previously in the multiverse by a whole month. So uh, go and have a look and see if you're interested. Uh, but you can, of course, support us in other ways by simply rating the podcast on iTunes, giving us a review. Uh, and if you're watching the cut-up versions on YouTube, which you aren't hearing this part, I suppose, so I don't even know why I mention it. But yeah, like and subscribe. If you happen to go there occasionally, like and subscribe and comment as much as you can. Please. Thank you. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that is previously in the multiverse. Thank you very much once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember... To always...